Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. This is episode 13 of the Belgian Football Podcast. Uh, my name is Ben Jackson and as always I'll be your host and always as always, always as always, I am joined by our very own Onuachu and Heymans of the podcast. Last week Bellini and Thorup this week. Let's go for the top scorers. Uh, Scott and Yoris, how are you guys doing? I'm all good, thanks. I'm Tickety Boo Benjamin, how are you? I'm fantastic, I'm not looking forward to the international break. I'm going to save that rant for people that have to hear me and speak to me every day. I won't give it to you guys on the podcast about how pointless international breaks are during the pandemic, but there we go. So yeah, in this episode of the Belgian Football Podcast, probably a short episode than we usually do just because of the international break coming up. Uh, we're going to, as always, have a look back at the games that took place this weekend, pick our games of the week and our players of the week. And then we're going to dive into a little bit of transfer talk. Obviously, the window closed uh, last night as of recording, so there's quite a bit to dive into there. Quite a few players moved. It was actually quite a busy day in Belgium without like, massive moves, but yeah, we'll have a look at that. And then we've actually got some really good listener questions this week. Talking about the European draw that took place last Friday. And then, yeah, there's a couple of other ones as well that we'll get into. Just to start with, let's just go through the results from the weekend. Firstly, on Friday, we had Antwerp against Mechelen. Antwerp demolished Mechelen four goals to one. Moving on to Saturday, we had Vazland Beveren against Joyce's Genk. I know he doesn't want to talk about this one too much. It was one all. It was a last-minute scrappy goal for Vazland Beveren that got them back into that game. After that, we had Jupin against Circler Brugger, which finished 2-1 to Circler. Leuven beat Zolta Valagem 2-1. St. Truden and Kortwijk played out a 0-0 that I don't think anyone watched or wants to talk about. Club Rouge beat Anderlecht by three goals to nil. Ghent hammered Beershot in what was probably quite a surprising result by five goals to one. Standard Liège beat Charleroi two goals to one. And Usten rounded off the match week with a 3-0 win over Musclon. Joris, we'll go to you first. What was your game of the week and your player of the week? My game of the week was Leuven against Zultavarim. I didn't go for one of the top games that we recommended last week, but I chose for a game of uh, missed chances, I'd like to call it. It was a crazy game. You know a game will become crazy when the kickoff is actually a straight shot on goal, which uh, Xavier Mercier attempted. Went a bit on, uh, <laughs> over the bar, but still. There were plenty of chances at both sides. Henri missed a big one alone for goal. Well, alone for the keeper, but made up for that with a nice little chip uh, a little bit later in the game to make it a 1-0 to Leuven. And it was also the seventh assist for Messier. There were a few more big chances, mostly for Leuven, but it stayed 1-0 at a break. Uh, in the second half, there was a bit less action. But a little after the hour mark with another great true ball from Mercier and another assist. So I um, doubled the lead from Leuven. But the first chance after that goal was for Berahino, who actually netted his last goal for Zoltovarium for now. We'll get um, more into that later on to get back into the game. And after that goal, Zoltovarium actually got a few other big chances, but the game stayed at a final scoreline of 2-1 to Leuven. So Leuven still doing good business and Zoltovarium are still struggling, despite some signs of hope for them This in this game. They were creating quite a lot of chances, but the defense still was questionable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they didn't, they've certainly not improved their defending even since that 6-0 drubbing that they took. Just want to give a shout out quickly before you move on to your player of the week to my player of the week from last week, mm-hmm. Mr. Sawa, Kamal Sawa, 
lovely goal, like the little skill to yeah. go inside and a left-footed curling shot. Yeah. Is, yeah. yeah, and uh, my player of the week for this one, I chose for Roman Yaremchuk, not only for his pitch performance, he made two goals. Uh, he was quite omnipresent and the exponent, exponent of a seemingly newborn Ghent. Where I also want to give a small short shout out to Matisse Samoise, who made his competition debut and scored a debut goal uh, as an 18-year-old. Not much more on the pitch that I have to tell about it, but uh, Jaremyshoek also made the news again outside of the pitch, stating that he wanted to leave and that some club was really inter- interested. But it hasn't come this far yet. Portugal and Russia still are some options. Probably there are some other faraway leagues that are where the transfer window didn't close yet. But it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. The board also said that he should stay at Ghent for now. Yeah, I'm. I'm like, I get why he probably does want to go, but I completely understand why they want to keep him because you kind of look at that team and you think, like watching that game, he was just kind of making them tick by the way he played. Like like you said, he scored goals, he set up goals. And I think if you take him out of that side, you're left with the Potra and Kleindienst. Kleindienst isn't that sort of player. The Potra isn't that sort of player either. They'd really lack any sort of attacking. Well, not they wouldn't lack a complete attacking threat, but I think without the Remchuk in that side, it's a very, very different team. I think it was actually quite nice to see them play with two wingers. I quite enjoyed <laughs> that. I thought it just, the balance of the side looked quite nice. I was like, oh, this is better. This is better for what you've got. The Aramchuk situation is definitely one we're going to keep an eye on going forward. Who knows what's going to happen there? It's definitely not over, that's for sure. Scott, move on to you. What was your game of the week and then your player of the week as well? Well, my match of the week was the the big game on Friday, last Friday, uh, Antwerp and uh, Mechelen. Antwerp's best performance, I think, since the cup final. Um, Really, really good did everything well that we know that they they do do well. That pace, power and aggression was back in their game. See see their transitions, actually. Just I've got to mention their transitions. There isn't a side in the league better at going from defending their own 18-yard box to being inside the opposition's 16-yard uh, six-yard box story within about three passes, if you give them a chance. And boy, were they Shall up for that. Yeah, I well, we, we can we can we can do that. We can have a wrestle over it. I think though, but see see the thing with them is those transitions just kill sides. And this game was over in the first eight minutes. That was the amazing thing. I kind of feel for Mecklen because being two 0 down within eight minutes and then having to sort of um, you know try and get back into the game was always going to be a tough ask. And to be fair to them, they retained possession quite well after that and did have a goal, but. Antwerp never really took their foot off the pedal, so didn't really give them a sniff in the end, which is why it kind of finished them um, 4-1 um, and, and wasn't closer in the end. But everything that Antwerp do well, they did do well. And it was just kind of right right there, right on it from the off, um, which was just great to kind of see. My player of the week actually comes from the same game. I went for um, uh, Antwerp's 23-year-old central midfielder, Koji Mayoshi who interestingly hasn't really been playing that much this season. That was his first start last Friday and um, he scored. So I don't know what the story is there, whether there's a training or a fitness issue, but he was fantastic on Friday. Uh, great goal, great one-two. My throw in out wide, smashed it in at the bottom corner. It was just just a really nice goal. He's only started that one game and he's been used sparingly as a substitute as well. So he's not featured regularly. I think he's got quite a lot to offer Antwerp, actually. He, he fits into their, their system quite well. So I'm hoping that we're going to see a bit more of him. 
he, he might be less useful in European games, I think, for a number of reasons. But that's something we'll probably talk about when we can address Antwerp in Europe um, in the future. But yeah, keep your eye on Koji Mayoshi. And also a big shout out to our Antwerp friend, um, Bob de Jong, who was with us a few weeks ago in our Antwerp special, because Bob actually mentioned uh, Mayoshi as being a, a hot prospect for the future. And he wasn't wrong about that. No, absolutely. I, I feel like he adds a bit of creativity to the squad that he, mm -hmm. that they desperately yeah. need. Also notable in this game, two more two things I can add. Like Lamkalze made his um, return yes. to the squad. Yes, he's he bad. Didn't, yeah. He didn't really perform well or, or or anything special, which is weird for him. But um, yeah, it, it, he was back anyway. And uh, also the, the the Mechelen goal was scored by uh, Joffrey Hermans, who lives very close to the Antwerp stadium and uh, also played a long while for Antwerp. So we got a standing ovation from the, well, of course it was already 3-0 by then, but um, he got a nice standing ovation from the whole crowd. Yeah, definitely a nice little touch. Yeah, I was going to mention it was good to see our, our Lam Calze back. That's for sure. Nice to see him back on the pitch. I wonder how long it's going to last. And I wonder if they will ever find out why he wasn't playing. It's just all a bit random. But yeah, if you, as um, Scott said, if you're listening to us for the first time and you missed the Antwerp special, I would definitely go back and have a listen. It's a really, really good chat we had with Bob. He just gave us so much insight into that club. He talks about a couple of other players as well outside of Miyoshi. So yeah, if you want to get like a lowdown on Antwerp and any of that, please do check that out. It's, uh, yeah, any of our recording platforms, you'll be able to find it. Yeah, that's great. So my game of the weekend was actually a bit of a rude Vorman masterclass, I have to say. Uh, Blues against Anderlecht. 3-0 to Bruges, and it, they just dominated this game for the entire 90 minutes. I've written a piece for Total Football Analysis, which should be out on Wednesday. So when this goes up, hopefully that will be out and you'll be able to find it on the Twitter account if you want more details on it. Anderlecht just got completely blown away. Bruges pressed them into oblivion at the, in the beginning, stole the ball after just Anderlecht didn't really know how to get away from the press, gave it away quickly. Diata scored the opening goal. Uh, straight away into the second half, they get a penalty. Van Aken scores, and in 94th minute, Former puts in a really nice free kick. And yeah, I just want to give a shout out to Former because he was just exceptional in this game. He was absolutely everywhere. Anderlecht just didn't know what to do with him. Their midfield, they lined up in a 4-4-2 and it just couldn't cope with the three midfielders that um, Bluge put out. I'm worried about Anderlecht after this game. They had no Jeremy Doku, who has left to Len. Uh, we'll probably talk a bit about that when we talk about transfers. But without him on the pitch... I know we've been kind of sceptical on him. Like, is he ready to move on? But that's irrelevant now because he's gone. It kind of felt like in the past few games, he gave them that exciting edge, that attacking kind of threat. And they just had nothing. They played Tao and Nemecha up front together and it just didn't work. Tao got booed from the first minute to the last minute. Which I thought was a bit unfair because he was only on loan and he's just been loaned again. And he is doing a tour of all the Belgian sides. So at some point he was going to play for Anderlecht and at some point he's going to play probably for Circle Bruges so they can boo him there as well. But yeah, I don't know if you guys have any opinions on this game. I just thought Bruges, we kind of did speak last week about this being kind of like a testing game to see where Anderlecht are at and it wasn't really pretty. No, indeed. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah. um, well, also... I don't think it was a real test in the end because Anderlecht indeed has these issues with Doku leaving, uh, Travel still being out, which unfortunately for them is going to keep on going, but they might have brought in someone uh, to fill that gap. So they were missing quite some players, but despite that, um, for now, I don't think Anderlecht is a realistic match to Bruges um, right. in, in this season, I would even dare to say. 
Yeah, because they started their, their central midfield partnership was um, Sambi Lakonga, 20-year-old. He got sent off, but he was captain, which I thought was quite a nice little mm-hmm. touch. Mm-hmm. And then they had uh, Arnstad, maybe oh. Frederick Christian Arnstad. Who knows? If you're out there, Frederick, let us know. Yeah, so two really young central midfielders up against Ritz, Vorma and Van Aachen. Oh, I feel that's a bit unfair. And then my player of the week is not going to be Rude Vorma. I just thought I'd have to give him a shout out. It's actually Cameron McGeehan. I just love watching Cameron McGeehan play. I think he is something or someone that Oostend fans are going to really take to this season because he's just got so much energy. He'll like happily track back and work his socks off getting back and doing the dirty work defensively. But then he really wants to push into the box and like make things happen. He got another goal. So that's two in two games, I think, now for Cameron, which is great. And he just kind of epitomises for me what Eastend are doing and how much better they are this year. Because they've got players like Cameron McGee and he'll just work hard, put a shift in. And they all seem to want to do that against a poor old Musclon who just can't keep, seem to catch a break, just can't seem to do anything. I just thought East End just outworked them really, really well in that game. And I thought Cameron Gian was a part of that. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think, you know, while you're talking about East End, I've noticed over the last few weeks how good their team spirit is. Mm. You know, the, the the way players ran to the bench when they scored against Muscron, do you know what I mean? It was just, was just brilliant, actually. It's really clear that uh, they enjoy being around each other and I've got a great deal of kind of respect personally and professionally. There's a really, really good team spirit there behind, obviously, what is a lot of hard work that you don't really see behind the scenes. I, I think they are kind of slowly but steadily getting better and better and developing um, and I think are going in the right direction. Yeah, I think Blessing is doing a very, very good job. And they've recruited pretty well, I think, in the summer. They really did bring in a lot more youngsters, just a little bit more energy. And yeah, like you said, there's that team spirit that you really do yeah. notice in that team. And I think that's what I noticed with someone like Cameron McGeehan is like, he works hard. He's You can see him talking a lot on the pitch and stuff. And he just seems to fit yeah. the mould of player that they want there. So well done to Ustend, well done to McGeehan. And I think that pretty much sums up the games of last week. I think we should probably move on now to talk about the transfer window. There were lots of ins and outs, lots of moves. As we already mentioned, Doku has moved to Len. The fee is reported to be, I think it's around about 26 million euro. I think it was, a, I think that, that transfer, the Doku transfer is a difficult one for Anderlecht really because he had two years left in his deal, didn't he? And it was, it was an open secret that there wasn't going to be a new contract. So he was leaving. It was just going to be when, and I think if an offer comes in, a sizable offer, they kind of, you know, it, what, do, what do you do? Because the longer you leave it, the more his value goes down. So from Anderlecht's point of view as a piece of business, it's probably quite good. For footballing reasons, we don't know yet whether it's going to work out for him. One question I would want to ask around it is, would would Doku have been going to Rennes, regardless of the fee, if they didn't have Champions League football? I think that's the big sweetener here. That's that's the step up. That's the, the shop window, potentially, for, for the future for him. So, sorry to see him go, because he's a massive talent, but obviously we'll keep an eye on him. Yeah, absolutely. I think of all the teams he could have gone to, I think, in my mind, Atlanta, that team that can develop young players like yeah. when I've watched them play I'm like no yeah there's a they've got a very good manager they've got kind of like a settled system settled way of playing yeah. and obviously they just sold Lathenia to Leeds so there's kind of like an opening in the wide position for him to yeah. move into I think like you said for Anderlecht it just I think it just just makes sense I don't think they're really in a position to be like we need to like you can't yeah. go we're going to keep you because they're not competing at the top of the league they need that cash injection he's an asset 
if you get a, dip, uh, a money coming in for him like that, I think you just have to say, okay. I think there's was, was a really nice, he's put out like a message saying thank you to like Anderlecht and the club and the fans on Twitter. So that's always nice to see as well. Yeah. I think it's kind of like there's a mutual understanding that this has had to happen. Yeah, I think indeed that Anderlecht had to sell more or less. And I think Jiren actually is, um, could be the right club as well. But they're rich to have some other young talents like uh, most famously Gamavinga, I guess. Mm. Uh, also a good youth academy as well, as many French teams do. Uh, of course, this Champions League football has already mentioned, can, which can also, well, I think it also can play a role, uh, the, his national team aspirations since the European championships are there um, yeah. at the end of the season. So I guess yeah. if he can settle there and be, um, play well, he has a bigger chance of actually making the 23 squad because, of course, now the squads for all these games are always a bit uh, bigger still than 23. And additionally, also, I think his price here is uh, price tag. He's their record signing. So this, well, could be uh, something heavy to carry, but he's also going to be guaranteed to get playing chances right away. So mm. I think that's a good thing for him yeah. as well. Um, indeed, he's a replacement for Rafinha. And, and Ren is also a good stepping stone by, for example, Rafinha, Dembele, the new Chelsea goalkeeper, Mondi also came, uh, came mm-hmm. in from them. So yeah, yeah, I think it could be a good move for him. Yeah, no, I, I like it. I think I really hope he does well. I hope he kind of takes his game to the next level and I hope we're in a definitely the team to do that. Um, I think we should move on to some incoming, some players that we are excited to see or players that we already know about who've just kind of crossed the country to different clubs. So Scott, do you want to give us kind of like two transfers that caught your eye either in the window or yesterday when the uh, transfer window shut? Yeah, well, there was a couple in particular, actually, for, for for kind of opposite reasons. One is a player very well known to us uh, and most people, uh, and that's Saido Berahino's move from uh, Zulta Varagam to Charleroi. None of us really saw that one coming, so I don't know whether he just fancies winning a title and thinks if he goes to Charleroi, that might happen for him. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? He's been at Zalta for a little while now, so maybe he just feels like a fresh challenge. It just kind of came out of the blue, really. I think that's a great acquisition for Charleroi because they, their main creative outlet is 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 Morioka. So this gives them an extra option. So it'll be interesting to see where they kind of fit in because they can both play centrally or out wide as well. Um, so you've got the option to interchange there. Um, so that kind of caught my eye. That's a loan with a purchase option as well, uh, by the way. So Charlotte, well, I've got a chance to kind of make that permanent if if things go well. The other one was a player I will freely admit I've never seen or even heard of, but I'm quite excited by because it's the sort of signing that Belgian football uh, does really, really well, actually. It was Sambu Sissoka, who's gone from, bear with me here, Joliba AC um, in his native Mali uh, to Kortrijk. Now he's a he's a young defensive midfielder. I think he's twenty, um, and he's gone to Kortrijk on a, on a two year loan with the option of a further two year extension. So this is this is obviously his big break. This is his chance to kind of crack Europe. And Belgian football, as we know, and people who've watched a lot of it will know that uh, we see a lot of young African talent an Asian talent coming into the Pro League and the Proximus League. And, and he's the latest example of somebody who's just kind of dropped, kind of unannounced. I, I know nothing about him, but I'm quite excited by this one, actually, f- for that reason. So um, keep an eye on Kortrijk for the next couple of years. Sambu Sosoka, yes. Yes, you heard his name here first, people. When he gets his yep. big move, 
to one of the big clubs in Europe. We spotted him first. No, I'm I'm completely with you on that one. I always get excited when yeah. players from like national clubs in Africa make a move across. Because obviously we had uh, Isa Kabore yeah. from <laughs> a club in Burkina Faso, ends up at Mechelen, now he's gone to Man City, like in the space of a year or two, like that's pretty rapid. You've got the Aspire Academy guys that get brought in by um by Upen. You've got, yeah, like plenty of these players that do come from those sort of leagues. And I think it's kind of what I quite like is you then get, there's more respect for these leagues. I feel like a lot of people don't respect the national leagues in Africa because we just don't hear anything about them. We don't know anything about um, Sambu Sissoko, but if he get like comes off and gets becomes a success, you'll then probably respect the Mali league more and that sort of thing. Just want to jump in on Berahino as well. I listened to a podcast at the beginning of June, July. I think it was Daps or Dapo. If you look for him on Twitter, you'll find it. He does a really, he did a really good interview with um, Saido, who speaks about his contract situation at Zolta and how COVID impacted it to the point where they just said they can't really afford to keep him, but they were going to mm. keep him on just to see. But he was talking then about a move to England and kind of coming back over to England to play. So that's why this kind of caught me out of the blue because I presumed, okay, that move to England's just never going to happen because there's, there were no rumors around Elihino moving from Zolta. I literally had no one heard anything, and then suddenly. He's gone to Charleroi, so I don't know if maybe that contract situation played a part of it. And Zolta were like, okay, we just can't afford to keep him. Yeah. Charleroi came in and said, okay, we'll take him and we'll use him. I don't know. and Because otherwise it doesn't really make sense for them to do it, I don't think. For Zolta, like, why would you give him to Charleroi? Yeah, I think that's the thing about it as well. I, my, my initial reaction was I couldn't really understand it, particularly from Zolta's point of view. I mean, they've now yeah. lost a player who not only guarantees them you know, a certain number of goals, but will also add you a few assists as well. So not only have they lost him, but you know they've, they've not and can't replace him. So that's problematic, isn't it? No, it's going to be interesting actually to see kind of the two things that how Zolta react without him and then mm. where he fits in with Shalawa. I kind of like he's like a very, he's a different striker to what they've got because... With like Rezaia Nicholson, they got kind of like every time I watch them, I just I just kind of think of them as like battering rams. Like Nicholson is one of those strikers that if I was a defender, I just wouldn't want to play against him because you're probably going to come away battered and bruised because that man is so physically strong and powerful, but also really good on the ball. So Relihino, like he gives him a different option as a striker or as more of like a centre forward or wide man. So yeah, I like it as a move. I think Shadow have definitely improved there. Yoris, let's have two from you, two players that you are quite interested yeah. in yeah i will also still say uh Shagawa indeed did some good business i think the the dead of their squads is now way better they also brought in Teodorczyk, uh, a former top scorer in the league belgian league um in yeah. so uh but he's a he's more of like the invisible type of uh, striker and then he hits out of nowhere but um and first season that went really well at Anderlecht. the second season not so much and and that's when they gave him a big contract it was that's one of these points where the financial issues became more apparent um, from that, that moment on. But my players are for signing for Musco, surprisingly, Xadas, and one for Ghent, Hanke Olsen. Xadas and Trincao have been named as Braga's new next big things for, uh, for a while. Uh, and the younger one, Trincao, ended up at Barcelona for now, while the other one, Xadas, well, I'm sorry if I mispronounced the name. Uh, my Portuguese is not so great, unfortunately. Uh, has been loaned out to Moscow, so obviously something <laughs> has be, has gone wrong with uh, with with uh, his his career in comparison. <laughs> it's it, obviously quite a change of quite an opposite 
trajectory there really, obviously he stagnated a bit in his progression it's also not his first loan anymore i think he was loaned out to maritimo fuchal last year but this is actually the kind of player that i could fall in love with i think he has great technique and vision an excellent left foot somehow it's always better when it's a left-footed player than a technical player than a right-footed and he's also gifted with a good long distance strike and also important for Muscon because he seems to be, they only seem to be scoring from them. He's also quite good with set pieces. So um, maybe he will be the man that Muscon needs. Uh, and I hope that he, uh, we will be able to see some glimpses of his class. He, he can't have lost all his talents. Um, I don't know what went wrong. I didn't follow his story too much. Of course, he might be one of those, these talents that in the end fails to completely break through. But uh, I hope he can lift his career in Belgium. And I also know that he's been featuring on, for example, Racing Hink's lists, uh, scouting lists as well, but I'm sure they're not the only ones. And that many teams will be wondering, yeah, well, what the hell is he, do- is he doing at Muscoon? And my second pick, as mentioned, was is Hanke Olsen, another young talent, as with Scott's for a second pick. Um, I'm not so sure what, about his qualities. He was the cap- captain of Stabek, uh, and he has been bought by Ghent. He's a central defender with a good header, and that's about it, what I know about him. But I mostly took him since uh, he had been rumored at uh, Standard for a week or so right now, before in the end finally he chose Ghent over them. I think it's also partly because it seemed that uh, Standard centre-back Lifeis was going to be sold to Sampdoria, but that deal also fell through. Still, whatever the reason is why he chose, uh, ended up at Ghent. I'm curious which of the teams made the right choice here. I love those. They're so funny as well because then you just feel like there's some extra drama when they play against each other, like on that player, even though there's probably nothing and like that, like there could have been nothing in those rumors. Yeah, like exactly when he play, if he scores against them, you know, just be like, oh, if only they'd signed him, or if he gets sent off, they'll be like, oh, he's like a, a plant from Standard to like ruin Ghent. Who knows? Yeah, no, the the kid joining Musclon, I think, like, the moment that happened, you were messaging us in the chat, like, I can't believe this has just happened. Like, how, why is he going there? No pressure, mate. <laughs> yeah, none at all. Yeah. They well, also signed a striker as well, so it could finally be turning around for Musclon. Yeah, I don't know. He's gonna, Yeah, he's going to have a lot to do to, <laughs> to create, but I think it will help. Like, they need someone who can create chances and who can create more opportunities for them because they're just the data and the metrics for that team is just so bad in terms of creating chances and shots Mm -hmm. they need someone who can like do something different and give them a different outlook so herb coffee's finally getting some help by the look of things so my transfers of the day we will get to after we have a quick little break just to tease that out a little bit longer uh yeah we'll just take a quick little break and on the other side i'll give my two players and then we'll move on to some european talk and have a look at some listener questions as well. Back to part two of episode 13 of the Belgian Football Podcast. Before the break, we went through a few transfer interests, I guess you could say, for Scott and Joris and... Yeah, I'll do mine now. So this actually links to a listener question we had from Charlotte Patterson. Thank you very much, Charlotte, for your kind words as well the other day. And for this question, if you don't follow Charlotte on Twitter, her Twitter handle is at Kirby Hazard. Great little 
little name that. Uh, so she asked us about Josh Cullen to Anderlecht and what we thought about that. So for those of you who don't know, Josh Cullen was a West Ham United player, played for them in their youth academies, went through the system, obviously didn't break into the West Ham side that often. He spent last year on loan at Charlton in the Championship before ending up now with Anderlecht. And I think he cost them about €500,000, so not an expensive transfer by all means, covered a bit by the Doku move. And I'm just not too sure how this is going to work. I think we were just discussing off air about how young those two Anderlecht midfielders were. So obviously central midfielders in the area, they need to look to bolster with the injuries that they've got there. So he's 24 years old. He's been capped by the Republic of Ireland. So they clearly see a talented player there. Yeah, spent the last two seasons actually on loan at Charlton. So he was part of their promotion winning side that got them back into the championship. Then he's also part of the team, the side that got uh, relegated back into uh, League One. Yeah, I'm not sure. So I saw a bit of him, obviously, when he played up against Reading last year as a Reading season ticket holder. He didn't really stand out by all means, but he was clearly liked by Lee Bowyer and trusted by Lee Bowyer. He played the majority of their games that season. So he's got a lot of football under his belt, which I think they could use at Anderlecht to use a player who's like played a championship as well as such a tough physical league. I, do, I have a sneaky feeling he'll do well. I think he'll add something that they need in the midfield. I'm just not too sure if he's going to push them into like a higher level. So to say, I don't know if he's better than what they've already got there. I don't know if he's just going to kind of fit in with what they've already got, but I hope he does well. It's nice to see uh, a player coming over from England to Belgium. So yeah, I wish Josh Cullen well. Um, That's not the only one that interested me. The other move uh, is Matt Miazga has joined on loan from Chelsea. He is always being loaned out by Chelsea. I don't know how many games he's played for Chelsea, but you could probably count them on one hand. He's always on loan. Uh, He was on loan at Reading last season. So I've got to see quite a bit of him there. He was actually spent a season and a half at Reading. And again, I just, I like it in terms of, I like that he's a defensive player and I feel like they need a centre-back who's calm. He's very calm, kind of like a no-nonsense centre-back. He loves to get stuck in good in the air like as a defender he's very good playing out from the back I'm not completely convinced like he did it a bit of Reading under um, Jose Gomez who liked to play out from the back but I wouldn't say he was entirely comfortable about it and it looks like that's what Anderlecht wants to do that's what company wants to do so yeah I think he's a good player for them to get I think he'll definitely improve their defense he improved Reading's defense we were quite sad that he didn't come back again this season but I just doesn't think there was a way of getting it done. I think working with company, he'll probably quite enjoy that because he knows company from the Premier League and stuff like that. So it is a good move for them. It's a loan as well, so that's nice. They've got quite a few loan players now, though. But yeah, I think Miazki will be a good addition to the Anderlecht squad. Scott and yours, are there any other ones you want to quickly touch on or should we move on to a bit of European chat? Oh, give us a European chat. Give us, give us, oh, I'm salivating. I'm salivating. Don't we just love a bit of European competition? Yeah, oh, I, I think that answers that question. Let's move on. <laughs> There's plenty of interesting moves that uh, that went on, yeah. but let's uh, let's move on. Um, I uh, right. come back to Miazga. I I also short for a very short intermission. I'm also not convinced about the footballing qualities, and I think that's what they actually wanted. And I, I feel like he's going to be a bit more of the same, maybe at a better level uh, that we'll see. But more, I don't, I'm not completely convinced if he's going to be the missing piece in the Anderlecht defense in the end. But interesting to see. 
if he stops them conceding 94th minute goals, I think he'll have done a good job. I mean, but he might concede a few by making them play out from the back. But maybe they need to change. Who knows? But we'll move on. We'll have plenty of time to talk about company and Anderlecht over the next few um, weeks, that's for sure. So we're going to base our European chat kind of off the back of another list of questions. So thanks to Jordi. I'm presuming it's Jordi and not Jordi. So he tweeted us and he was like, does Antwerp have a realistic chance to reach the second round? Spurs are bound to top the group, but how should we rate Ludogrets and Last? Joris, I'll go to you first on this one. What do you think of Antwerp's chances of meet, reaching the second round? I might fear a little for them, to be honest. Um, it will be an important fight, I think, between Antwerp and uh, Lask for the second spot. Although Ludo Horitz actually is uh, like a weird team that, that I've liked since a few years ago uh, when there was this weird shootout for getting into the Champions League where the where a player had to keep uh, being goal and, well, got them into the Champions League by saving two penalties, Cosmin uh, Motti. But uh, they also do our regulars in Europe the last few years since then, actually, and do reasonably well as well. But I do think they will be the weaker side of them, but I wouldn't um, yeah, can't, uh, strike them off straight away. But Lusk uh, itself gave Bruges a hard time last year in the Champions League qualifiers. And actually also were uh, even were competitive, very competitive with Salzburg in Austria last year. Probably the last time that happened was before Salzburg was um, artificially built up yeah. uh, until they <laughs> lost some points because of ignoring a Corona rule, I believe. And then they started dropping some points. Uh, but um, yeah, this season, they were also convincing in the uh, Europa League qualifiers, beating Sporting Lisbon last round and. Um, also, well, the round before they beat Stork, uh, Berend Stork's team with 7-0, I believe. So they seem a dangerous side. And also, um, it will be very interesting and important because uh, Belgium and Austria are quite close on the coefficient ranking for the next few years. So um, I hope Antwerp get, gets into a second spot, but I fear a bit for it. Yeah, I think what you said there, especially about Lask, I think if you don't know about Lask, you'll look at them and you'll think oh well they're not RB Salzburg that should be a walkover but yeah they're they're by no means a walkover they push Salzburg all the way that incident with the COVID thing from what I've read it was a bit murky around them getting caught out so realistically they, they should maybe have won the league last season in Austria which have been quite a statement for a side that have nowhere near the financial capability of the Red Bull backside so I, I agree with you. I think it's kind of like Spurs. You expect Spurs to go through with Jose Mourinho, but English teams also don't really like Thursday night football. So there's always an, a chance for an upset there. True, of course. Um, but yeah, I think Lask, Ludogorets and Antwerp were in for a bit of a dogfight. I think mm -hmm. it may even come down to like making sure you don't get hammered by Spurs, really, after what they did to United. Like They seem to be kind of getting on a roll. So yeah, I, th I think... With a positive hat on, I think Antwerp can do it. I think if they play to their potential, they can do it. But it's by no means going to be easy up against Lask and Ludogorets. Scott, are there any other groups that uh, you want to talk about in terms of the uh, European draw for the Belgian sides? I think uh, I think Group D is a is a tough group and an interesting one. That's the one that's got a uh, standard in it: uh, Rangers, Benfica, and uh, Lech Poznan, who. Uh, dispatched Charleroi at the final hurdle. That's 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 a tough group. 
you would expect Benfica to top that, um, especially after failing to qualify for the Champions League when everyone kind of expected them to. Um, but a bit like uh, Antwerp's group, you could argue that either of the three remaining sides um, could could take that second spot. Um, so that that's a that's a pretty tough group. Yeah, yeah. I know you'll definitely have your eye on the old standard Liège against Rangers one. <laughs> yeah, that's um, yeah. Regular listeners will know that um, I'm a Celtic season ticket holder. Um, they're my team, um, and uh, I've seen a lot of Rangers, our old rivals in Europe, because I think um, I should say that Rangers' best performances over the last couple of years, in fact, have come in European competition. So I don't think they're going to go into this group and, and really fear anybody, and, and neither should they to be honest, because that's where they've played, I think, their, their best football by quite some distance. Um, but Rangers go Rangers go to Slesion, um standards ground uh, on match day one. Um, so um, I'll probably be having a good look at that game. Yeah, no, that should be... A, uh, it's quite an interesting group, that one as well, yeah, with Poznan, who I was quite surprised with how well they played against Charleroi. Yeah. They, they were very lucky, though. Yeah, <laughs> I thought I just thought Charleroi would be able to would be able to do it. It was really it was kind of a frustrating watch in that second half where you were just like just couldn't find the net. Yeah, they they, they hit the the post and the bar a few times, I believe, and then they missed the penalty. Yeah, oh, oh. kudos to the keeper though. Uh, yeah. from them that saved them. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a real shame. I really thought. I think when Charleroi started hitting the post and the bar, you just kind of knew like that's it. Just quickly looking at the last Europa League group game and the, then we'll have a quick look at the Europa League group, sorry, for the Belgian sides. We'll have a quick overview of the Champions League group as well. We're not going to dive too deep into these groups at the moment because we are hoping to bring you a couple of special episodes with some very, very special guests who will give us more of an overview on the opponents of these teams and we can dive deeper into the groups and the ramifications of fixtures and stuff like that. So kind of keep an eye out for that. We'll release them as kind of special extra episodes i guess hopefully with some interviews with some fellow podcasters and experts on other leagues but group l sees ghent up against uh, hoffenheim slovan libelic from uh, the czech republic and then the serbian side slovena zezvda zezvda Red well Star done, Belgrade. <laughs> Red Star Belgrade. Yeah, I was like, I'll be fine. I'll be nice to the Serbians and no, no, of course, that. but just for the yeah. ones that don't know, it's for the <laughs> non-Serbs. Uh, I don't want to offend anyone either. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll cover both things here. We've got to deal with two languages in Belgium anyway, so we'll deal with these two here as well. I think that's a tough group for Gen. I think if they, but again, they start to look, they're starting to look better now. So I'm, I'm a bit more optimistic. Hoffenheim are going to be a really, really tough team to play against. Um, Klamerich is on absolute fire at the moment for them, so that's going to be quite hard. Everyone always hates going to Belgrade, but it might be different if there's no fans there or limited fans, as it seems like the possibility is at the moment. And then I don't know much about Liberec, if I'm honest. I've not watched much Czech football, so I'm kind of interested to see what they're like as well. And then when we move over to the Champions League group, so... Unfortunately, obviously, Ghent didn't make it through their uh, second leg tie, as we've already spoken about. So they're not there. We only have one team in there, which is Club Rouge. And they got handed a really tough draw. So they've got Dortmund, Lazio and Zenit St. Petersburg in their group. Again, we'll dive deeper into this. But what's your initial thoughts, guys, on this group for Club Rouge? Ouch. 
<laughs> um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a really tough draw. Um, I've actually um, seen Lazio and Zena up close over the last couple of years because both of those sides um, played against my team Celtic in in the Europa League over the last couple of years. So I've I've been at games um, and and seen them up close and. I would say that both Lazio and Zenit have improved since I saw them. My team Celtic managed to beat Lazio home and away, uh, which was which was a couple of great nights for us, obviously. But even even Zenit have improved, I think, since a couple of years ago um, when they came to Celtic Park when Brendan Rodgers was still there. Yeah, I think I think that's a really tough group. Bruges will be happy just to be there, to be honest, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, nothing wrong with that at all. That's not. They're not that happy to be there. They want to get through. Their ambition. Yeah, well, still yeah, no. Even yeah. after the draw, yeah. <laughs> of course. So, and I, yeah. I actually sorry to interrupt you already, but I, I also actually don't share your feelings uh, that much. I think they could have gotten way, way, way worse. Like I don't feel like they are completely chanceless. I don't share in the in the Belgian media. It, they were really saying like they should go through or they should really they really have a chance. I don't feel it that way, but I do think they can hopefully get into third spots um, if they get lucky. They say it has a bad record last year's against Belgian teams as well, both mm. Kent as and Anderlecht when they were already struggling a little bit. And then Lazio, well, it's difficult to say in, in the Europa. They've been in the Europa League for ages now and then they sometimes play yeah then they sometimes play to the b uh, b squad so it's difficult like like the bigger uh, british teams as well yeah but it's difficult to see but i feel like they're a bit uh on a i feel like it any of these teams except dortmund they, they will be the toughest one obviously um they if Bruges perform well they have a chance doesn't mean that they will uh beat them or so but i feel like and if they are in good shape and as always with that's that's going to be always the case with Belgian teams in their in the shapes right now of course the the bigger teams on paper should also have a well less good day I, I feel like they there could be something there but I don't really see them fighting I don't share the optimism in the media but especially since Bruch itself well didn't really even last year they had a uh, well, no, they they had a group with Real and PSG, which at, at which they performed well. They even got a point at uh, the Bernabeu, but then they didn't even win against Galatasaray, so they didn't win in the end and got lucky to have a late minute equalizer to go through the uh, Europa League at least. Yeah, but I'm, I'm slightly optimistic. I feel like they have a chance, but and that yeah. I would not have that feeling. It's not a group like last year with two teams that are really out of the league in yeah. even though they did get a point but um still yeah not not impossible teams not of these extraterrestrial teams uh, is there <laughs> and I yeah feel, well we'll have to see but also it could play in their favor that all the other teams are well they they're also going to be able to take points from each other which well can exactly. be in their favor yeah. or in, or in the negative sense that it could make difference between a second and a fourth spot even Maybe. Um, yeah, I think I think that's I think that's a really important point, Joris. Actually, because when you look at the way the fixtures have come out, um, Bruges open on match day one away to Zenit. So obviously, 
that's who are playing Dortmund in the other game. So, you know, there's a situation there where, you know, if Bruges could get a good result in St. Petersburg and the other result goes their way with a draw, then, you know, that that just gives you the edge and, and can make a real difference actually later mm-hmm. in the group, that kind of thing. So I, I think you're right about that. But still, obviously, it's going to be difficult. But I, 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 uh, my sentiment sentiment is that it could have gone way worse. <laughs> yeah. No, I think one thing I would say is Dortmund are prone to have these weird matches where they look like the worst team you've ever seen, with no attacking potency or anything like that. And if Bruges can catch them on one of those days, I think they have the the setup to kind of play against them quite well. But it's just kind of luck, I guess, of to which Dortmund turn up yeah, on the day. Two, I think two, it's kind of the years, same with all those. Two years ago, they were also in the same group, and they also got a point by well, by parking the bus though uh, yeah. in Dortmund. So well, but if they get lucky a few times, and then that one chance, you never know. They, they always have to hope for that. Yeah, I think, like you said, <laughs> parking the bus is probably the best way to shut Dortmund down. Uh, I think it's kind of the same with Lazio and Zenit. It just kind of depends which of those sides turn up. I think Lazio, again, can be kind of like hit and miss. Mm-hmm. Zenit as well, like, I think I agree with you, Scott. They have got better from what I've seen. But I always feel that they should be better than they are in Europe as well because they've got quite a lot going for them. So hopefully we'll get more of a lowdown into these teams with some of our guests who can kind of give a little bit more of a overview of what they're looking like at the moment and kind of how these games might go uh let's quickly move on to some listener questions we've got two to quickly get through before we end this episode the first is from the 94th minute on twitter uh thank you again to the 94th minute for the feedback and the questions and they asked with the split in Belgium seemingly increasing which league would be the more exciting if they existed the flanders top flight or the valonia top flight who which of you wants to take this one well, w- what I would say, actually, is, first of all, um, I think the idea of, of kind of separate top flights for Flanders and Wallonia is, is a slightly abstract one because there obviously there are far more Flanders-based clubs. So I don't think it's much of a, a, a goer in the first place, to be honest. I think the bigger the bigger question might be around what some people are calling the Beanie League or the Beanie League, which is the potential merger of the Belgian and Dutch leagues to create a, a bigger product. That probably has more um, more likelihood in it longer term to to kind of happen, and and maybe it will. Although there's a lot of opposition on on lots of issues around that. So there's so many things to be resolved. That's not going to come about anytime soon. So the pro league's not under any immediate threat. So I, yeah, I mean, I I think you know. It, in a hypothetical, I think a Flanders league would be more exciting, but it doesn't leave many teams if you take the Wallonian teams out. <laughs> I, I agree. So I, I also feel like it's very hypothetical. It will never happen. Um, I think it also came out of that BBC article that you shared, which was a bit too dramatic over the situation in Belgium, a political situation in Belgium. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit one-sided. Nothing much changed over the last few years. But in that hypothetical situation, and also leaving out the question of where you would put Brussels-based Anderlecht, Flam- um, <laughs> Flanders obviously would be the, the better top flight, uh, since there's only four Wallonia-based teams in the League of 18 now. Um, yeah. So Standard and uh, Charleroi would be dividing the titles among themselves, while the competition hopefully would stay, well, 
nearly as big as now and, and as competitive in Flanders. I think I agree. Yeah, I think for us, the Flanders top flight, but hopefully that won't be an issue going forward. And I think we're going to be fine with what we have at the moment. Our second list of questions is also a second question from Charlotte Patterson. She says this will obviously be unrelated to the topics of conversation this week. But she was just wondering what our opinions were of Seal Larin, the Canadian striker, uh, what we thought of him last year when he was on loan to Zolta and how we thought he did. Uh, she's interested in this as an Orlando fan in the MLS. Yoris, do you want to take this one first? I didn't follow him that closely, but he did quite okay. Scored quite a few goals and uh, had a good link up with the aforementioned Berahino. Nothing exceptional, though, I would say, but very decent. I think he got like nine or ten goals in a shorter season so that's quite okay i want to just add more this partnership is probably also the only reason uh, to expe- extrapolate it a bit uh, the only reason why zotavarium didn't really end up in big trouble last year but now you're both gone so and not really replaced so we'll see how that goes for them yeah no he did quite well that's a summation he scored some goals had a good link up with Berahino. Yeah, I think if they could bring him back, they probably would right now. With losing Berahino, I think it could be it would be someone they'd probably think about having back again. But yeah, I'd, I'm just not sure where because obviously he's like in the Turkish league, so it's kind of like far out now. So whether they could get him back, obviously they can't get him back at the moment with the transfer window that's shut. But he had some nice moments. I guess it's probably what we'd kind of how we'd sum up his time in Belgium. He had some nice moments. He fitted into their system. I think you can kind of notice him not being there for them this season. Yeah, so I think he got nine goals and 11 assists overall. So that's pretty good return for him. Pretty good return for Zolta. Ten of those assists were in the league. So as a creative outlet player, that's quite useful. I think that pretty much answers our question on what on Seal Lowen. I think I'm kind of interested in him as well in terms of like a Canadian football outlook because I feel like they've got some really exciting young players coming through. Where does he fit into that? sort of generation of players I guess with Jonathan David Alfonso Davis you've got Seal Lauren you've got some really exciting Canadian prospects coming through he is still only 25 years old so he has got some time to develop and um, improve his game whether he needs to now leave Turkey and come back into Belgium or another country like that will be interesting to see Scott I don't know if you wanted to add anything on this no I agree with kind of everything that both you guys said you know sort of nine goals I think in, in 33 appearances and I think you're right sort of about 11 assists as well so pretty decent I, I remember seeing him two or three times and kind of thinking yeah you know decent player decent player he strikes me as a little bit restless I mean he he, he tends to kind of he's made sort of 30 40 odd appearances for most of the clubs he's been at um, so he, he has been playing regularly wherever he's been but keeps seeming to kind of move around so he's I, I, I don't know if there's more to it than that maybe the reasoning behind that is a, is a non-footballing based one I don't know but yeah decent player I think you can just kind of look at his stats and see that he's kind of struggled to replicate the goal scoring form he showed when he was at Orlando uh, yeah, and his yeah. MLS goal scoring but it is a different league it's a tough like move to make and sometimes the situation just isn't right so maybe he, when he finds the right situation he'll be able to rediscover that form or maybe that just was his level and he needs to go back there who knows but yeah certainly one to watch he may reappear as quite a few players do they kind of come back into Belgium they've been there before like another club might take a punt on him I'm sure if you offered him to Muscron they'd take, take him <laughs> without even a second thought really so yeah maybe they should do that for that link uh, with, with Jonathan David when he's coming back with exactly so when Jonathan David 
David's loan back from Lille. I hope that doesn't happen for him. But great. So I think that's all we've got time for on this week's episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. Uh, once again, Scott and Joris, thank you for joining me. Always a pleasure. Yep. See you soon, everyone. Fantastic. And once again, just to give a shout out to Freelance Football Ops. Uh, if any of you listeners are freelancing in football, you may be interested in signing up to the Freelance Football Ops subscription-based newsletter. They find jobs which cover writing, design, video, audio, and lots of other things football-related job-wise. For more information, check out www.freelancefootballops.com or check out Freelance Football Ops on Twitter. Just shoot them a DM and they will get back to you about signing up to the newsletter. It's really great every week. You get it into your inbox on Monday and there's just a nice little breakdown of the jobs that are available. So would definitely recommend that. Great, yeah, so that's pretty much all we've got time for this week. We'll be back again next week with another episode looking forward to the post-international break. As I also said, we're hoping to get some special guests involved in previewing the European ties, so we're really looking forward to that. The boys and I are working very hard on getting some guests available for you uh, to listen to so we can give you more of an insight into these clubs that the Belgian sides will be facing. And as always, we'd really like to hear from you with any questions, comments or feedback, so please do get involved with us. Let us know on Twitter. Let us know via our email, which is belgianfootpodcast at gmail.com our twitter account is at belgian podcast you can find the three of us as well if you want to reach out individually uh, my name is twitter my twitter name is at benjack94 scott's is at scott underscore coin and yours is at yours underscore bet and yeah thanks for listening to another episode of the belgian football podcast and we'll see you soon <laughs> Thank you.